Welcome to the Doctrine of Justification by Faith, through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained, confirmed, and vindicated by Dr. John Owen. We will be continuing to read from page 162 for this reading. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, Give yourselves to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now, to SWRB's reading of the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained, confirmed, and vindicated, which we hope you will find to be a great blessing, and which we pray draws you nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ. For He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come unto the Father, but by Him. John 14, verse 6. Chapter 9, The Formal Cause of Justification, or The Righteousness on the Account Whereof Believers Are Justified Before God. Objections Answered. Principal Controversies About Justification. Number 1. Concerning the Nature of Justification Stated. Number 2. Of the Formal Cause of It. Number 3. Of the Way Whereby We Are Made Partakers of the Benefits of the Mediation of Christ. What intended by the formal cause of justification declared. The righteousness on the account whereof believers are justified before God alone inquired after under these terms. This the righteousness of Christ imputed unto them. Occasions of exceptions and objections against this doctrine. General objections examined. Imputation of the righteousness of Christ consistent with the free pardon of sin and with the necessity of evangelical repentance. Methods of God's grace in our justification. Necessity of faith unto justification on the supposition of the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. Grounds of that necessity. Other objections arising mostly from mistakes of the truth. Asserted, discussed, and answered. The principal differences about the doctrine of justification are reducible unto three heads. Number one, the nature of it, namely, whether it consists in an internal change of the person justified by the imputation of a habit of inerrant grace or righteousness, or whether it be a forsenic act in the judging, esteeming, declaring, and pronouncing such a person to be righteous, thereon absolving him from all his sins, giving unto him right and title unto life. Herein we have to do only with those of the Church of Rome. All others, both Protestants and Socinians, 
being agreed on the fortunate sense of the word and the nature of the thing signified thereby. And this I have already spoken unto, so far as our present design does require, and that, I hope, with such evidence of truth as cannot well be gainsaid. Nor may it be supposed that we have too long insisted thereon as an opinion which is obsolete and long since sufficiently confuted. I think much otherwise, and that those who avoid the Romanist in these controversies will give a greater appearance of fear than of contempt. For when all is done, if free justification through the blood of Christ and the imputation of His righteousness be not able to preserve its station in the minds of men, the Pope's doctrine of justification must and will return upon the world with all the concomitants and consequences of it. Whilst any knowledge of the law or gospel is continued among us, the consciences of men will at one time or other, living or dying, be really affected with a sense of sin, as unto its guilt and danger. Hence, that trouble and those disquirements of mind will ensue, as will force men, be they never so unwilling, to seek after some relief and satisfaction. And what will not men attempt who are reduced to the condition expressed? Micah chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Wherefore, in this case, if the true and only relief of distressed consciences of sinners who are weary and heavy laden be hid from their eyes, if they have no apprehension of, nor trust in, that which alone they may oppose unto the sentence of the law, and interpose between God's justice and their souls, wherein they may take shelter from the storms of the wrath which abides on them, that they believe not. They will betake themselves unto anything which confidently tenders them present ease and relief. Hence, many persons living all their days in an ignorance of the righteousness of God are oftentimes on their sick beds and in their dying hours, proselytized unto a confidence in the ways of rest and peace which the Romanists oppose upon them. For such seasons of advantage do they wait for unto the reputation, as they suppose, of their own zeal. In truth, unto the scandal of Christian religion, the finding at any time the consciences of men under disquietments, and ignorant of or disbelieving that heavenly relief which is provided in the gospel, they are ready with their applications and medicines, having on them pretended approbations of the experience of many ages, and an innumerable company of devout souls in them, such is their doctrine of justification, with the addition of those other ingredients of confession, absolution, penances or commutations, aids from saints and angels, especially the Blessed Virgin, all wormed by the fire of purgatory, and confidently administered unto persons sick of ignorance, darkness, and sin, and let none please themselves in the contempt of all these things. If the truth concerning evangelical justification be once disbelieved among us, or obliterated by any artifices out of the minds of men unto these things at one time or other, they must and will betake themselves. As for the new schemes and projections of justification, which some at present would supply us with all, 
they are no way suited nor able to give relief or satisfaction unto a conscience really troubled for sin and seriously inquiring how it may have rest and peace with God. I shall take boldness, therefore, to say, whoever be offended at it, that if we lose the ancient doctrine of justification through faith in the blood of Christ and the imputation of His righteousness unto us, public confession of religion will quickly issue in pulpery or atheism, or at least in what is the next door unto it. Kai Tauta Men de Tauta Number two, the second principal controversy is about the formal cause of justification, as it is expressed and stated by those of the Roman Church. And under these terms, some Protestant divines have consented to debate the matter in difference. I shall not interpose into a strife of words, so the Romanists will call that which we inquire after. Some of ours say, the righteousness of Christ imputed, some the imputation of the righteousness of Christ is the formal cause of our justification. Some, that there is no formal cause of justification, but this is that which supplies the place and use of a formal cause, which is the righteousness of Christ. In none of these things will I concern myself, though I judge what is mentioned in the last place to be the most proper and significant. The substance of the inquiry wherein alone we are concerned is what is that righteousness whereby and wherewith a believing sinner is justified before God, or whereon he is accepted with God, has his sins pardoned, is received unto grace and favor, and has a title given him unto the heavenly inheritance? I shall no otherwise propose this inquiry as knowing that it contains the substance of what convinced sinners do look after in and by the gospel. And herein it is agreed by all, the Socinians only accepted, that the procateretical or procuring cause of the pardon of our sins and acceptance with God is the satisfaction and merit of Christ. Footnote, procateretical, from Pra-catarco, pre-existing or predisposing. The term is now confined to medical science and employed to distinguishing a predisposing from an immediate and exciting cause to disease or fever. And footnote. Howbeit, it cannot be denied, but that some, retaining the names of them, do seem to renounce or disbelieve the things themselves. But, we need not to take any notice thereof until they are free more plainly to express their minds. But as concerning the righteousness itself inquired after, there seems to be a difference among them who are yet all deny it to be the righteousness of Christ imputed unto us. For those of the Roman Church plainly say that upon the infusion of a habit of grace with the expulsion of sin and the renovation of our natures thereby, which they call the first justification, we are actually justified before God by our own works of righteousness. Hereon, they dispute about the merit and satisfactoriness of those works, with their condignity of the reward of eternal life. Others, as the Socinians, openly disclaim all merit in our works, only some out of reverence, as I suppose, unto the antiquity of the word, 
and under the shelter of ambiguity of its signification, have faintly attempted any accommodation with it. But in the substance of what they assert unto this purpose, to the best of my understanding, they are all agreed. For what the Papists call the justitia operum, the righteousness of works, they call a personal, inerrant, evangelical righteousness, whereof we have spoken before. And whereas the Papists say that this righteousness of works is not absolutely perfect, nor in itself able to justify us in the sight of God, but owes all its worth and dignity unto this purpose, unto the merit of Christ. They affirm that this evangelical righteousness is a condition whereon we enjoy the benefits of the righteousness of Christ and the pardon of our sins and the acceptance of our persons before God. But, as unto those who will acknowledge no other righteousness whereby we are justified before God, the meaning is the same, whereby we say that on the condition of this righteousness we are made partakers of the benefits of the righteousness of Christ, or that it is the righteousness of Christ which makes this righteousness of ours accepted with God. But these things must afterwards more particularly be inquired into. Number three, the third inquiry wherein there is not an agreement in this matter is upon a supposition of a necessity that he who is to be justified should, one way or other, be interested in the righteousness of Christ. What it is that our part is required thereunto. This some say to be faith alone, others faith and works also, and that in the same kind of necessity and use. That whose consideration we at present undertake is the second thing proposed, and indeed, herein lies the substance of the whole controversy about our justification before God, upon the determination and stating whereof the determination of all other incident questions does depend. This, therefore, is that which herein I affirm. The righteousness of Christ, in his obedience and suffering for us, imputed unto believers, as they are united unto him by his Spirit, is that righteousness whereon they are justified before God, on the account whereof their sins are pardoned, and a right is granted them unto the heavenly inheritance. This position is such as wherein the substance of that doctrine, in this important article of evangelical truth which we plead for, is plainly and fully expressed. And I have chosen the rather thus to express it, because it is that thesis wherein the learned Devonant laid down that common doctrine of the Reformed churches whose defense he undertook. This is the shield of truth and the whole cause of justification, which, whilst it is preserved safe, we need not trouble ourselves about the differences that are among learned men about the most proper stating and declaration of some lesser concernments of it. This is the refuge, the only refuge of distressed consciences, wherein they may find rest and peace. For the confirmation of this assertion, I shall do these three things. Roman numeral number one, reflect on what is needful unto the explanation of it. Roman numeral number two, answer the most important general objections against it. Roman numeral number three, prove the truth of it by arguments and testimonies of the Holy Scripture. 
Roman numeral number one. As to the first of these, or what is necessary unto the explanation of this assertion, it has been sufficiently spoken unto in our foregoing discourses. The heads of some things only shall at present be called over. Number one. The foundation of the imputation asserted is union. Hereof, there are many grounds and causes, as has been declared. But that which we have immediate respect unto, as the foundation of this imputation, is that whereby the Lord Christ and believers do actually coalesce into one mystical person. This is by the Holy Spirit inhabiting them as the head of the church in all fullness and in all believers according to their measure, whereby they become members of his mystical body. That there is such a union between Christ and believers is the faith of the Catholic Church. Readers note, that is a small letter C for Catholic, end note, and has been so in all ages. Those who seem in our days to deny it or question it either know not what they say, or their minds are influenced by their doctors who deny the divine persons of the Son and of the Spirit. Upon supposition of this union, reason will grant the imputation pleaded for to be reasonable, at least that there is such a peculiar ground for it as is not to be exemplified in anything natural or political among men. Number two. The nature of imputation has been fully spoken unto before, and whereunto I refer the reader for the understanding of what is intended thereby. Number three, that which is imputed is the righteousness of Christ. And briefly, I understand hereby his whole obedience unto God in all that he did and suffered for the church. This, I say, is imputed unto believers so as to become their only righteousness before God unto the justification of life. If beyond these things any expressions have been made use of in the explanation of this truth, which have given occasion unto any differences or contests, although they may be true and defensible against objections, yet shall not I concern myself in them. The substance of the truth as laid down is that whose defense I have undertaken. And where that is granted or consented unto, I will not contend with any about their way and methods of its declaration, or defend the terms and expressions that have by any been made use of therein. For instance, some have said that, quote, what Christ did and suffered is so imputed unto us as that we are judged and esteemed in the sight of God to have done or suffered ourselves in him, end quote. This I shall not concern myself in, for although it may have a sound sense given unto it, and is used by some of the ancients, yet because offense is taken at it, and the substance of truth we plead for is better otherwise expressed, it ought not to be contended about. For we do not say that God judges or esteems that we did and suffered in our own persons what Christ did and suffered, but only that he did it and suffered it in our stead. Hereon, God makes a grant and donation of it unto believers upon their believing, unto their justification before him. And the like may be said of many other expressions of the like nature. Roman numeral number two. 
These things being premised, I proceed unto the consideration of the general objections that are urged against the imputation we plead for, and I shall insist only on some of the principal of them, and whereunto all others may be resolved. For it were endless to go over all that any man's invention can suggest unto him of this kind, and some general considerations we must take along with us herein, as, number one, the doctrine of justification is a part, yea, an eminent part of the mystery of the gospel. It is no marvel, therefore, if it be not so exposed unto the common notions of reason as some would have it to be. There is more required unto the true spiritual understanding of such mysteries. Yea, unless we intend to renounce the gospel, it must be asserted that reason, as it is corrupted, and the mind of man, as destitute of divine, supernatural revelation, do dislike every such truth and rise up in enmity against it. So the scripture directly affirms Romans chapter 8 verse 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. Number 2. Hence are the minds and inventions of men wonderfully fertile in coining objections against evangelical truths and rising cavals against them. Seldom to this purpose do they want an endless number of sophistical objections which, because they know no better, they themselves judge insoluble. For carnal reason being once set at liberty under the false notion of truth to act itself freely and boldly against spiritual mysteries is subtle in its arguing and pregnant in its invention of them. How endless! For instance, are the sophisms of the Socinians against the doctrine of the Trinity? And how do they triumph in them as unanswerable? Under the shelter of them, they despise the force of the most evident testimonies of the Scripture, and those multiplied on all occasions. In like manner, they deal with the doctrine of the satisfaction of Christ, as the Pelagians of old did, with that of His grace. Wherefore, he that will be startled at the appearance of subtle or plausible objections against any gospel mysteries that are plainly revealed and sufficiently attested in the scripture is not likely to come into much stability in his profession of them. Number three. Most of the objections which are levied against the truth in this cause do arise from a want of due comprehension of the order of the work of God's grace and of our compliance wherewithal in a way of duty as was before observed. For they consist in opposing those things, one to another as inconsistent, which in their proposed place and order are not only consistent, but mutually subservient unto one another, and are found so in the experience of them that truly believe. Taking the consideration of these things with us, we shall see as the rise, so of what force the objections are. Number four. Let it be considered that the objections which are made use of against the truth we assert are all of them taken from certain consequences which, as it is supposed, will ensue on the admission of it. And, as this is the only expedient to perpetuate controversies and make them endless, so, to my best observation, I never yet met with any one but that to give an appearance of force unto the absurdity of the consequences from whence he argues, he framed his suppositions, or the state of the question, 
unto the disadvantage of them whom he opposed. A course of proceeding which I wonder good men are not either weary or ashamed of. Number one, it is objected that, quote, the imputation of the righteousness of Christ does overthrow all remission of sins on the part of God, end quote. This is pleaded for by Sicinius, not in English words, and by others it is also made use of. A confident charge, this seems to be, who steadfastly believed that without this imputation, there could be no remission of sin. But they say, quote, that he who has a righteousness imputed unto him that is absolutely perfect, so as to be made his own, needs no pardon, has no sin that should be forgiven, nor can he ever need forgiveness. End quote. But because this objection will occur unto us again in the vindication of one of our ensuing arguments, I shall here speak briefly unto it. Parenthesis number one. Grotius shall answer this objection. Says he, non-English words. Quote, Whereas we have said that Christ has procured or brought forth two things for us, freedom from punishment and a reward. The ancient church attributes the one of them distinctly unto the satisfaction and the other unto his merit. Satisfaction consists in the translation of sins from us unto him. Merit in the imputation of his most perfect obedience performed for us unto us. End quote. In this judgment, the remission of sins and the imputation of righteousness were as consistent as the satisfaction and merit of Christ, as indeed they are. Parentheses number two. Had we not been sinners, we should have had no need of the imputation of the righteousness of Christ to render us righteous before God. Being so, the first end for which it is imputed is the pardon of sin without which we could not be righteous by the imputation of the most perfect righteousness. These things, therefore, are consistent, namely, that the satisfaction of Christ should be imputed unto us for the pardon of sin, and the obedience of Christ be imputed unto us to render us righteous before God. And they are not only consistent, but neither of them singly were sufficient unto our justification. Number two. It is pleaded by the same author and others, quote, that the imputation of the righteousness of Christ overthrows all necessity of repentance for sin, in order unto the remission or pardon thereof, yea, it renders altogether needless. For what need has he of repentance for sin, who, by the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, is esteemed completely just and righteous in the sight of God? If Christ satisfied for all sins in the person of the elect, if, as our surety, he paid all our debts, and if his righteousness be made ours before we repent, then is all repentance needless. End quote. And these things are much enlarged on by the same author in the place before mentioned. Answer, parentheses number one. It must be remembered that we require evangelical faith in order of nature, antecedently, unto our justification by the imputation of the righteousness of Christ unto us, which also is the condition of its continuation. Wherefore, whatever is necessary thereunto is in like matter required of us in order unto believing. 
Amongst these, there is a sorrow for sin and a repentance of it. For whosoever is convinced of sin in a due manner, so as to be sensible of its evil and guilt, both as in its own nature it is contrary unto the preceptive part of the holy law, and in the necessary consequences of it in the wrath and curse of God, cannot but be perplexed in his mind that he has involved himself therein, and that posture of mind will be accompanied with shame, fear, sorrow, and other afflictive passions. Hereon, a resolution does ensue utterly to abstain from it for the future, with sincere endeavors unto that purpose, issuing, if there be time and space for it, in reformation of life, and, in a sense of sin, sorrow for it, fear concerning it, abstinence from it, and reformation of life, a repentance true in its kind does consist. This repentance is usually called legal, because its motives are principally taken from the law. But yet there is, moreover, required unto it that temporary faith of the gospel which we have before described. And as it does usually produce great effects in the confession of sin, humiliation for it, and change of life, as in Ahab and the Ninevites, so ordinarily it precedes true saving faith and justification thereby. Wherefore, the necessity hereof is no way weakened by the doctrine of the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. Yea, it is strengthened and made effectual thereby. For without it, in the order of the gospel, an interest therein is not to be attained. And this is that which in the Old Testament is so often proposed as the means and condition of turning away the judgments and punishments threatened unto sin. For it is true and sincere in its kind. Neither do the Socinians require any other repentance unto justification, for as they deny true evangelical repentance in all the especial causes of it, so that which may and does precede faith in order of nature is all that they require. This objection, therefore, as managed by them, is a causeless vain pretense. Parentheses number three. Justifying faith includes in its nature the entire principle of evangelical repentance, so as that it is utterly impossible that a man should be a true believer and not at the same instant of time a truly penitent. And therefore, there are so frequently conjoined in the scriptures as one simultaneous duty. Yea, the call of the gospel unto repentance is a call to faith, acting itself by repentance. So, the sole reason of that call unto repentance, which the forgiveness of sins is annexed to, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, is the proposal of the promise which is the object of faith, verse 39. And those conceptions and affections which a man has about sin, with a sorrow for it and a repentance of it, upon a legal conviction, being enlivened and made evangelical by the introduction of faith, as a new principle of them, and giving new motives unto them, do become evangelical. So impossible is it that faith should be without repentance. Wherefore, although the first act of faith, and its only proper exercise unto justification, does respect the grace of God in Christ, and the way of salvation by Him, as proposed in the promise of the gospel, yet, 
is not this conceived in order of time to precede its acting in self-disciplinacy, godly sorrow, and universal conversion from sin unto God. Nor can it be so, seeing it virtually and radically contains all of them in itself. However, therefore, evangelical repentance is not the condition of our justification, so as to have any direct influence thereunto. Nor are we said anywhere to be justified by repentance, nor is conversant about the proper object which alone the soul respects therein, nor is a direct and immediate giving glory unto God, on the account of the way and work of His wisdom and grace in Christ Jesus, but a consequent thereof. Nor is that reception of Christ, which is expressly required unto our justification, and which alone is required thereunto. Yet is it, in the root, principle, and promptitude of mind for its exercise, in every one that is justified, then when he is justified. And it is peculiarly proposed with respect unto the forgiveness of sins, as that without which it is impossible we should have any true sense or comfort of it in our souls. But it is not so as any part of that righteousness on the consideration whereof our sins are pardoned, nor as that whereby we have an interest therein. These things are plain in the divine method of our justification and the order of our duty prescribed in the gospel, as also in the experience of them that do believe. Wherefore, considering the necessity of legal repentance unto believing, with the sanctification of the affections exercised therein by faith, whereby we are made evangelical, and the nature of faith as including in it a principle of universal conversion unto God and in especial of that repentance which has for its principal motive the love of God and of Jesus Christ with the grace from thence communicated. All which is supposed in the doctrine pleaded for, the necessity of true repentance is immovably fixed on its proper foundation. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more, at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue Edmonton AB Canada T6L 3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com or swrb at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. SWRB's email list is a double opt-in list. So once you've sent us your email address, you'll be asked by email 
to confirm that you want to join our list using the email address you have supplied. Your email information will be kept confidential, and you can easily remove yourself from our email list by simply emailing us at swrb at swrb.com with the word remove in the subject line. Once you are on our email list, you will be alerted to all the free Reformation resources, free MP3s, free electronic books and texts, etc., that SWRB makes available on the web, as well as, at times, to our best discounts and super specials. We also encourage you to reproduce this audio resource and to pass it on to your friends. But we only authorize this as long as the full contents of the message including the header and trailer, is not altered in any way, and as long as the audio file or cassette is given away for free. Thank you again for listening to this SWRB reading. And remember that Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 states, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 concludes, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you.